0: Back to the Cycling Tips Nerd Alert Podcast. I'm your host, James Huang. It's the week of November 1st, and the rest of the nerds have this week off because we have a deep dive episode in store for you today. Now, I've been wondering for several years why no one had developed an aero wheel purpose-built for gravel, complete with a super wide profile to match up with those higher volume tires. Does it not make any sense? Is it too hard to make something that light, that's that wide? Well, Last year, UK-based direct-to-consumer wheel brand Hunt came out with exactly that in its 42 limitless gravel disc. It's got a pretty normal 25mm inner width, but a super wide 36mm outer width, and in between that inner and outer rim bed is a low-density polymer foam, foam to help hold it all together. It's a pretty wild wheel, and yes, I'm writing up the review right now. And I wanted to not only dig a little bit more into the thinking behind it, but also gain some insight into the person who came up with it. That person would be hunt engineer and product manager, Luisa Grappone. And she's got a lot on her mind. With that, let's go ahead and listen to that interview. I hope you enjoy it, maybe learn something from it. I know I did. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Nerd Alert. Uh, Luísa, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Nerd Alert today. It's a pleasure to finally meet you, well, sort of in person.
1: Yeah, thanks a lot for inviting me. Likewise, it's been yeah, uh, it's very, very much a pleasure for me to meet you finally, James. Thanks a lot.
0: Um, I, I first want to give our listeners just a little bit of background on you in case they aren't familiar with who you are and, and what you've done. Um, I know you've earned a master's degree in aerospace engineering. I know you used to work for Boeing. How and why? did an aerospace engineer like yourself end up in the bike industry?
1: Um, I always say it was almost by accident. Um, I was, uh, as you say, I was working not directly for Boeing. I was working for an Italian company, being a subcontractor for for Boeing. And uh, it was like um, two years after I took my graduation. So uh, I was really young and new. And um, my... My dream really was to work in the space industry, so I had the opportunity to go to the European Space Centre for a couple of weeks for an interview uh, to get possibly a job. The thing didn't go as um, uh, long or expected, um, so I uh, there was a mix of things. You know, I really wanted to work mainly in the aerospace industry and not in the aeronautical uh, industry, and also I wanted to make an experience abroad at that time. So I was just put, I did put myself on the market. And um, it was 2008 when I was contacted by a recruiting company, an English one, which was um, working for 3T at that time. 3T was... He did renew themselves since a couple of years before contacting me. So they, uh, the former uh, R&D director was English. So he just was uh, getting help from this English recruiting company. When I was contacted by them, I thought, oh, yes, my opportunity to go and work I don't know in uh, in UK or in France or but at the end of the process when everything was starting so oh yeah finally you can meet the other side but good news for you you don't have to go anywhere it's in Italy (laughs) and I said oh no and I even didn't know that it was in the cycling industry at the beginning Um, so um, but everything you know was so going on well, and um, there was a lot of good connection with what they told me about the company. So in the end, I said, well, why not? I'm I'm just after two months of the interview process, why not to meet them at least? So I flew to Bergamo from Naples and I met all the people uh, in 3T. that was, we did love each other at first sight, you know. So we, it was great. I decided, yeah, to to change, to just uh, take this new adventure. And, um, yeah, as I always say, I have never regretted that choice. I would never go back. And, yeah, that was probably one of the best choice that I could um, take. And it was also, you know, a confirmation for... On, on an engineering point of view, the cycling industry is not that much different, you know, from the automotive or the aer- aerospace industry. Uh, the thing that has as an advantage is that it's a lot more quicker and you can touch what you work on. You know, when I was working for the 787 project, uh, I could not even picture myself what I was working on. Well, I could, and I had. um, uh, I was lucky to enter in the fuselage because a section of the fuselage was at a local place in Naples. There is a big hub in aerospace hub, so I could enter to that fuselage before it was um, put on the big airplane to fly to USA. But otherwise, you cannot really uh, understand or picture what you work on. uh, While in our industry, in the cycling industry, you know, you work on a handlebar, on a wheel or whatever, and you test yourself, you touch everything, you realize. So that's the the thing that I always say. It's it's really something special that you don't have uh, in many other places where you work. And being, you know, uh, passionate about cycling myself, it's a lot – funnier and nicer and it's it's a completely different world so i would i will never come back uh, to (laughs) to another industry yet
0: yeah so then uh, i guess as compared to you were saying that the 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 bike timeline the development timelines are a lot shorter and quicker and you're comparing to the aeronautical industry i mean compared to aerospace i mean it would have been you know multiple multiple years on top of that too right
1: yeah yeah the born seven eight seven I started to work on the project when it was already in progress, and I left the industry. I was spending years on in other and then it took a long time you know it's something that you yeah it's so long time thinking, and also you know sometimes you cannot really. Uh, control everything yourself, at least what I was doing. I was uh, a stress analyst, so I was doing structural analysis, but mainly everything was controlled by Boeing. So almost every day we got a package of what to do, how to do, which load cases, what, how to pro- process data. There was not really choice or possibility to do anything yourself. Obviously, someone in Boeing would do that and decide that, so probably they are the luckiest one in the industry, but not everyone is like that. While uh, in our industry, no matter if it's a small company or a huge uh, uh, company out there, we can all bring our Inputs and you know our our leader things in that, and you can see change. And as I said, it's probably a lot more challenging because you need to face a project that cannot last two years because otherwise you will be old already. By the time you start to work on something and you take two or three years, it will be already obsolete. So you need to. That's a challenge. Obviously, when you talk about R and D. We also have longer time. You know, when we think about applying different kind of technology or material, obviously, we don't start to look at this right now. And, okay, we will launch this in the next range of wheels for next spring. It will take longer. But still, the timeline is a lot shorter or different from what yeah it could be aerospace um or or automotive as well you know and then in the automotive there are a lot of strict regulations to be compliant with it's the same in the cycling industry obviously because we need to be safe and uh follow the standards and rules but it's it's i would say it's a lot more funny uh, in the cycling industry than elsewhere
0: (laughs) that's one way to put it i know uh uh, after you after you left 3T, you then went, well, I guess you stayed in Italy because you went to Campagnolo after that, yes, right? Yes,
1: exactly. I spent four and a half years in 3T and then the following four years in Campagnolo. Uh, and I was uh, part of the R&D department on wheels, mainly the carbon range of Campagnolo wheels. And yeah, then I... Um, I came to UK in 2017. I moved uh from Vicenza to, to Brighton. And yeah, and now it's more than four years actually since I've been living and working here for Hunt.
0: Wow. So would you say that that wheels are easier or harder to work on than airplanes?
1: Uh, it's um, you know, the thing is that uh, everything can be easy on all hearts. Sometimes it's the means that you can get access to. You know, for example, I always remember what my previous uh, r and director in 3T uh, always was telling me. He was working for the F1, for Ferrari F1. He had, He could do whatever he wanted with no limitation of money, uh, material, they could really do whatever they wanted. So in, the, in our industry, we, we cannot do that. You know, we need to force a reality which is limited by the amount of money that we can spend because in the end, we cannot charge that much on a customer because we have invented, uh, we are using gold in our wheels. Technology is the same. Sometimes we do not have access to Everything or whatever we could get access to. So I would say that it could be um, more difficult because of what we can have access to or the cost and the time that we have to face, Uh, but sometimes can be. not, not harder, but I would say in terms of technology, there is the same. You know, you need to apply science, you need to apply material knowledge, uh, design knowledge. So it's just a matter of what y- if you are designing a panel or, or on an aircraft or, yeah, the the ring of the fuselage or handling of doors, or you are just working on spokes, hubs, rims, stem, handlebar, probably there, there is... N- It's not easier or more difficult in any case. Um, There are different challenges,
0: I would say. I I have so many questions for you that I I should probably get started on them before we get too far off track, Um, because I I did want to have you on the show, because I'm really interested in your technical expertise, and you have a lot of experience in this subject, and uh, I'm really interested in what you have to say. Um, So I I first want to start with road wheels, um, because it wasn't all that long ago that wheel companies would... Just repeatedly claim that their new road racing wheels were, you know, they were more aerodynamic than the previous ones, saving this many seconds, this many watts, generation after generation after generation. And those claims still get tossed around a little bit these days, but it feels like they're a lot fewer and further between than they used to be. So do you think we've hit a plateau when it comes to the aerodynamic design of road wheels?
1: Um it's not that we have reached a plateau. Obviously, the if we go back and look at what um, was done twenty years ago, and I always mention Zip because they were they've been the pioneer in this. You know, it, we were coming from a completely different um, uh, story. You know, we were uh, talking, we were looking at aluminium wheels, very shallow rims, so they could really bring a huge difference from what it was used before and what it could have been done after that. And from that, everything were, we, we did um, with EAS, a lot of improvements, and now we, um, th- there is a kind of um, condition where we say, okay, there that, that is not really that much more that we can do, or whatever we will reach is just a marginal gain, you know, because we cannot go wider than where we are at the moment we cannot be deeper than what we where we are at the moment and still physics is there you know a wheel in the end is a ring uh, that it doesn't really uh, give you much more than that in terms of design so there is a constraint which is given by the design in we the, the difference that has been seen since the year, for example, it was the, the switch from rim brake and disc brake. That gave gave the big jump, you know, because when we were all on rim brake, there was a huge constraint given by the brake tracks, by the frame. So again, there could be already four, five, ten years ago that wheel could have been a lot wider, but it was not possible because wheels would not be fit on a frame. Now that constraint is not more in place anymore, so we can all play as much as we want, uh, given some constraint as well. Um, The same was with tire. You know, we were constrained by tires, which were, you know, the common uh, trend or the common law was to use narrower tire, 21, 22, tubs, and not even like clincher back in time. Now we can go wider with tires, and therefore we can go wider with rims. But probably, yes, now the the, the step that we could see between one model or one year and the other, it's a lot less than what we could see in the past uh, because of all this constraint and because probably, yeah, there is not really that much that we can do unless we invented a completely different shape of... Uh, of you know, wheel that work or um, a completely different system.
0: So do you, speaking of that, do you think there is some innovation that we haven't yet thought of that that really can make wheels significantly more efficient than they are now? Because I I think of things like, you know, people like to make fun of the, you know, the zip whale wheels or like the sawtooth pattern in the Princeton carbon wheels and that sort of thing. But it does seem like those wheels are improvements over the regular kind of more conventional shapes that are out there. And, and I just wonder from from where you sit and from from what you're seeing, do you think that, that there's something out there that maybe we haven't come across yet? Or is it is it a matter of some constraint that needs to be lifted before we can really advance things further?
1: Um, I do think there, there are some constraints that needs to be lifted. For example, one f- f- for all, which I always think about, is is the tire constraint. You know, we are limited by the tire that we can put on our on our wheel. So, for example, now we the common things is that wide arrow profile, sorry, arrow profile are white, but we are talking about something between over thirty and thirty four millimeters. At the moment, we cannot go wider than that because of the tire restriction and because of the pressure, the regulation between, you know, which is the pressure that those tires can be inflated to and how the tire interface with the tire bed. So probably uh, there is still something on the design that can be done, but it cannot be applied at the moment because already now if we wanted to follow Uh, ISO or ETR regulation, a lot of tires that at the moment are possible to be fit on rims. They are not really allowed in terms of uh, dimension and, you know, compatibility. So, and again, we, I cannot do, um, I cannot design a rim which could be probably 40 millimeter wide if no one can put a tire on that. So there are constraints. Obviously, there are, um, there is still a lot to work in terms of um, other kind of technology. And I know that there are people in the industry have read few patents out about something that could be special. I don't know if that could be feasible in terms of manufacturing process. It would be interesting to know what they would achieve, if they can achieve that. There is already something we've been thinking about and, um, I can tell you it's hard to, to achieve, mainly from the manufacturing process. So sometimes there are constraints also on, uh, yeah, we, we could do on, on a computer. Everything seems to work. But when we go to the real world or to uh, we go to deal with our uh, factories, our suppliers, and try to make that possible, we have a lot more problems. And when we see that, again, The gains that we get are very minimal, marginal. Probably we say, oh, is that really worth to get to that level and charge a lot more for 0.5 watts of difference if we can really detect that? But my main um, thing at the moment is really um, uh, the the big constraint is on the tire side. Uh, And uh, till the moment we will come to an agreement between the tire and the rim uh, manufacturers. We cannot really make that step further. Um, And if we were able to do that step, it was because of the tire changed in the last few years in terms of what now we can uh, ride, we can use the pressure that we can ride with instead of, inflating 11 bar on a 19, 20 millimeter uh, top tire.
0: Hmm. Spe- speaking of constraints, one thing that you mentioned that uh, I definitely want to talk about a little bit is you said that when we all switched from rim brakes to disc brakes, things really opened up as as a wheel designer because you had a lot more freedom in how you could shape that rim. Um, but at the same time, we also have to deal with the the rotor and the brake caliper and there's there's a common idea out there that even though the wheel even though the rims have gotten more advanced in terms of the aerodynamic efficiency um the 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 common sense or the common idea anyway is that um the the bikes themselves are still less aerodynamic than before because you have this extra stuff out there so does one offset the other or are the 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 modern disc wheels now still overall better than the previous generation of rim brake wheels.
1: In terms of pure aerodynamics, obviously we have less. uh, We had less things in in place in rim brake. There was still that big uh, the the caliper where they were. They were uh, creating a lot more turbulence than at the moment because when you think about the rotor uh, there is already a lot more turbulence at the center uh, of you know of the wheel because the airflow has already probably separated or created vortex so uh, and then uh, there is also the interference with the rider at that location so uh, obviously it looks the, the the rim brake bike looked to be a lot more neater Cleaner, but there were, there were a lot more turbulence at the top, you know, where the fork was compared to what we, we see now. Um, um, I, but if we think about all the other advantages that re, uh, disc brake has brought in terms of better, you know, braking system, uh, not any, I have not prob- I was, I did move to rim, uh, disc brake quite recently, you know, I, I have to say, because I bought my last rim brake bike just in 2016. So that was for me, pretty new one. But when I switched to the rim brake, to the disc brake, sorry, that for me was, uh, my life changed on a bike. You know, I was not more scared <laughs> about braking, uh, no matter how good is your braking, uh, the, the braking raising system, you still would struggle, you know, uh, in wet condition or when you have a long, long, long descent and you are braking constantly. Re- this brake made my life a lot easier. And so there, there are advantages, but obviously if we talk about um, pure aerodynamics, I would say that a lot depends on specific frame. Now more and more frame have been optimized uh to be aero also uh, uh, is part of being with this brake system and sometimes i have tested uh at the wind tunnel some bikes together with my wheels which were more aero than the equivalent of uh, a rim brake bike so a lot depends on on uh, on the specific design and the work that they also do on the frame side of Uh, yeah, the design.
0: Okay. I mean, that makes complete sense. Um, Speaking about testing, though, um, so in years past, a lot of these claims that that I was just mentioning earlier would also be really careful to point out that, you know, they were validated or tested in such and such wind tunnel here or there or whatever. But nowadays, it seems like so much more work is possible using computational fluid dynamics and other simulations uh, than we have been able to do before. So I'm wondering how much work is Hunt doing actually in the wind tunnel these days and how much can be done on a computer instead?
1: We we are doing both. Uh, Since like um, um, now a couple of years, we have implemented a full um, CFD model that we can use for any simulation. And just to give you an idea, when we um, started to work on the 48 LAD projects, um, it was something that the CFD, the Computational fluid dynamic Simulation, was still something that we were working on. So it was not ready for us. It was not ready for the 48 to be ready and be launched. So we had to do prototypes. We had to go to the wind tunnel with eight different shapes before confirming the final optimized shape. We are now working. Uh, It's almost, it will be launched soon. And uh, we spent the last year and a half on a pretty cool new project. We could do uh, 25 or more CFD simulation on different profiles before going to the tunnel with three different shapes. There are three different models but we brought to the wind tunnel two shape of one model and one shape of the other two models because we could still we still wanted to see a little bit of, if there was a little bit of difference to the wind tunnel. But we were able to just run 25 different shapes before deciding to go to the wind tunnel with prototypes and see where we were at that stage. Um, Still, wind tunnel is important, I guess, because as much uh, as you can create the more sophisticated and precise model, there will still be an error in the computational side of the simulation, as well as there will always be an error in the measurement taken to the wind tunnel. So uh, I guess everything is part of the same flow of process you know now we can do a lot more of CFD before going to the wind tunnel but we will always go to the wind tunnel and in fact for this project we went anyway after the the CFD we went two times to the wind tunnel and we will be going soon hopefully before Christmas to finalize everything. And as well, as you know, in the end, rider testing are important because uh, sometimes uh, for wind tunnel, we got, when we were um, developing the 60 lot, we had a great performance for what concerned aerodynamics, but when we were looking at the steering moment, compared to some competitors that we brought through the wind tunnels and we tested, our wheels, they were better for aerodynamics, but they were not as good or better for the steering moment. But when we gave those wheels to the team and every was every rider was testing our wheel, they gave me incredible feedback. And the the thing was that they were passing from our competitors to our wheels and that competitors was one of the that we tested to the wind tunnel, so I could really see the difference. And I was surprised, not surprised, but um, to me, those feedbacks were not the opposite, but something that was not really what we saw uh, to the wind tunnel. The reason is that sometimes, this, obviously not sometimes, wind tunnel uh, is a very, I would say, um, close environment anyway we don't have riders when we do the testing because you know we are there just for making uh, proper wheel uh, development so but when you put a rider on a bike and everything changes and when you are into real world with winds coming in a different way with different conditions probably what you still measure and detect at the wind tunnel it could not be hundred percent what you would see into the real world. So that's f- the process of doing everything, designing, simulation, testing at the wind tunnel, but real world has to will always be part of a good way of you know designing uh, everything from wheels to handlebars
0: or frames, I think. So how do you decide what is more important then? If you have data, from the CFD analysis and or the wind tunnel that is different from the feedback that you're getting from the rider, which one do you, which one do you place more emphasis on or which one is I guess more correct?
1: Um, well, in this case, I, I I know why uh, the wind tunnel didn't give was the right results because of the way that steering forces, the steering moment is collected, is measured. So it only takes into account what happened to the first end of the bike where the steering uh, axle is. So this is something that we already take into account. We know that when we measure the side forces, that is just relating to the front end. So we cannot really measure what is happening in the whole system. Um, so that was something that, you know, we you will always want to have a real world testing. Uh, but sometimes it's a matter of, you know, not compromising, you, you expect some errors. The same way, you know, when we do simulation, we can simulate the complete bike, everything, but still um, we because of the way we do create the model, um, we are sure that probably the difference that we see to what we will see to the wind tunnel could be different. What counts for us is that at least we see the same trend or, um, the sa- yeah, mainly the same trend. So um, we, we, when we came back, you know, from the tunnel to validate our model before, you know, we at least got the confirmation that when we tested some different profiles, At least the difference was the same. Uh, It would have been a problem if, to the wind tunnel, I would get prototype A to be better than B and the opposite on uh, on the CFD simulation. At least we got the same trend and the same level of um, data, which was a confirmation for us that the model, in spite of all the little errors that could come out of a model itself was something that we could take into account for our validation.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So it's not it, it wasn't so much a matter of trying to figure out why things were completely different, but just...
1: Well, it was not, as I said, it was not completely different, but um, if I had to consider just the feedback, the, the, the outcome from the wind tunnel, I would have said, oh, probably th- those wheels are not really... Good for handling, but probably it would have been the same for all the other competitors that we tested. You know, I was just there analyzing the data from the tunnel. But when we got to the world, and the riders told us, look, these wheels are, are not at all, um, you cannot feel any instability or imbalance. Those, those are great. And on the contrary, are a lot better than what we were used to to have before, which was, and again, we know that, for example, when we see the trend of the steering forces, what counts now that we saw is not that much how um, big is the force, but the way it ramps up. So if you see um, kind of like fluctuation that was can tell us, okay, probably the wheel is unstable, but if you see that the, the ramp ups, because obviously the higher the, your angles, the more would be the side forces. so you will always have um, a force which a, a greater steering moment or force at higher your angle. But the way the, the, the curve ramp up will tell us how the wheel can be con- stable or unstable. So we learned. As well, from the feedback, and we went back to read the diagrams, the graphs at the wind tunnel, and then we understood okay, that doesn't really mean that it's a bad thing because, as an amplitude, a, a, a bigger amplitude compared to the other, but the way it ramps up probably is telling us more on the stability of, of the wheel.
0: Hmm, interesting. Uh, speaking of real world testing, one of the reasons, I guess, one of the things that really prompted me to bring you on to the show um, was your 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 recent 42 Limitless uh, gravel disc wheel set, which, um, for for people who are listening to the show who aren't familiar with it, it's it's quite an unusual gravel wheel set. Um, the internal width is is it's quite wide. It's not unusually wide. It's 25 millimeters, I, I believe, but the external width is very wide. It's 36 millimeters, I think, right? Um, and then combined with a 42 millimeter depth it's just a very very big fat wheel Um, and at least for for my testing anyway uh, I ran I ran that mostly with either a a set of 35 millimeter Schwalbe G1 speeds or G1 all-rounds which that that combination was seemingly nearly perfect because the tire ended up being right around 36 millimeters so it 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 was a nice match and at least for me it did feel faster and some of the numbers that I was looking at they did they they showed that they were faster as well. It's just such an interesting wheel. Um, so what I'm wondering is why well why was it so hard to make something like that and why why did it take so long for that to come around because I'd wondered for years. I mean gravel is not a new thing. Uh aerodynamics in wheels is not a new idea. But it has taken this long for someone to develop a wheel that was like that, that would that kind of meet all those constraints. So, what was what was the secret sauce there?
1: You know what? We were looking at how you know the gravel um, world was uh, becoming. You know, in the past few years, and obviously for us, the the thing that gave us the input to start to think to something different was the the dirty cancer, you know, the racing that you had uh, in USA. And when we were looking at people racing and winning, they were all on, what, deep arrow, roads, wheels, deep envy. So, well, obviously, if it was me racing that Race, I would be probably I, I I would not even finish, so it's a completely different way, but if you look at racer who want to race and win that race, they were all using deep arrow section, so we said why we 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 don't think about offering something made specifically for gravel, so which is not just um. Arrow because it's something that we wanted to bring, but it could be also strong, uh, giving comfort. So this this was really what gave us the input to um, to think about arrow in gravel because uh, people were probably in demand of something different, which was not uh, available uh, at that time. And obviously, we did a lot on on uh, with the 48. You know all the development, and we, it was quite easy for us to take the results from what we have done on the 48, which was already a very wide rim, and say, okay, let's try to be to see what happens if we reduce the depth and we increase a little bit the 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 width because we need to be combined to wider tires, and yeah, it worked. We we went to the wind tunnel and we we brought with to test obviously the main competitors, which were Zip and Envy, which were the wheels that normally people would ride and race and win those kind of races. And we also brought with us our conventional aluminum shallow box section rim. And we saw that there was, no matter if the tire was the same, so there was a big interference and turbulence created by a big tire, still there was a huge, Benefit and advantage by having a deeper, wider, and aerop- optimized rim, even for gravel, and yeah, it was a kind of crazy idea at the beginning, but it, it worked, and uh, and I do think that we will see probably going even further, like on on that. I always think, you know, um, I'm more of a roady a uh, road like type of riders obviously but if you think about Paris-Roubaix, Paris-Roubaix 10 years ago no one would think about riding 50 plus millimeter rim in carbon now that's the choice it's almost like a TT you know the last 40k's the one who can just go it, it makes a time trial race. They all go deep. The deeper, the better carbon. And I do think that probably we will see this happening in gravel as well. Once the 40-ish range of rim would become the standard, probably we will see more deeper rim section and more and more arrow also on there and then probably it could be the case that we will be a lot wider because of the in that case we won't have the um, constraint of the tire so when you think that you can just go with a 42 or 45 tire then you need to be wider internally and you can be a lot wider on the external probably yeah it could be that something very cool or strange can come out
0: mm, interesting That's 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 very intriguing to think about what that could be. Um, you, you and I had gone back and forth on email a little bit before uh, before we we're chatting today, and one of the things that you had mentioned about designing an aerodynamic gravel wheel is the, the difficulty of accommodating for that airflow around the the, the, the tread pattern on a gravel tire. Um, so with all, with all that turbulence, I, I would imagine it it certainly changes quite a lot depending on what sort of tread design that you're using too. But given the the, the huge range in what sorts of tires people are going to be running for a, a, a gravel tire that they would presumably want to be you know, fast in a, in a long distance race, that sort of thing. How do you accommodate for that?
1: Uh, well, that's hard, you know, because uh, unfortunately, it cannot be possible for us to test all kind of, you know, tires out there with um, pattern, uh, even on roads side, it is not easy because, uh, you know, there are slick tires, tires with um, patterns on the sides. Um, what we did, it was simply to take two very uh, different tires. Like uh, we tested the G138, which has like uh, nobles, dimples, but not, but but not, so big and then we tested the um, uh the TerraVale, the 42, which has quite big knobs. So we at least said, okay, let's see what happened with two completely different kind of tires, two different kind of, of dimension, width, and see what is the the um the result from wind tunnel. The 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 thing which was a bit unexpected is that they both behaved the same way. So even though the, the G1 had, like, uh, w- w- could have been considered as tile compared to the Cannonball TerraVale, still we, we saw the same trend of uh, the drug. Zero or f- straight your angle, you would see the lowest drug possible, and then you would see an increase, an increase of the drug um, as soon as you start to just uh, move and increase the, your angles. Obviously, the um, the overall. Um, um the numbers you know on the drug are different because you would see probably less drug in terms of absolute values but the trend was 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 similar so that was something that on one side as i said was a surprise but at least it was a kind of relief because we said okay we know that It is like that as soon as you start to add something on the tire, which create a turbulence, it will be there soon as you move from a straight um, wind condition. And then we said, okay, then we can focus actually on optimizing the rim shape because we would see the same trend and the same performance almost with every tire at the moment uh, on the market.
0: Do you think that we are about to see a new i guess technology front with with aerodynamic wheels now in gravel because like you said when you were looking at all these bikes at at unbound gravel and all these big long distance races everyone's using these big deep wheels um and now that you have this gravel specific uh aerodynamic wheel set and now are looking potentially at making it even wider because the tire widths have already gotten wider do you think we're suddenly going to see a lot more options on the market from other brands? I mean, because because surely other brands are thinking about this, I would think.
1: I guess it will definitely come. You know, it's the same. Uh, it's what happened with Tubeless. You know, uh, probably most of them out there wait for the the thing to become a trend and to be safe about selling and w- working on something and sell which could be sellable you know otherwise so there would be uh, more and more on this you know uh, it, it's going to happen as I said it will be there will be always few brands which will be pioneers in that but then mm-hmm. yeah there would come and there will be much more competitive competition for everyone you know for us as well because in that case you need to bring something different because otherwise you yeah you have much more competition out there so that would be that's a good thing actually because that push you you know to always think about something different and new and always work on uh something different otherwise you could sit safe or your nice Comfortable pillow for years and say that ah, we will all, we <laughs> can be the only one, no? And that can kill somehow, you know, imagination or what you can work on. So that's a good thing. But yeah, I, I do think that will be uh, that will be a lot more. Also, because you know now, for example, um, I, I obviously USA has been pioneer in gra- in the gravel. Uh, 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 word because of probably uh, it's given by your roads or I, I don't know why that it was like when it happened with mountain bike. In, in, in Italy, gravel has not been a thing till recently, and now it's crazy. People, every you know, everyone is on gravel, so now it's becoming a trend. And I know a lot of people who have decided not to buy a road bike, but a gravel bike, because that could be probably the best option. You know, I can still go on road kind of um, races or like um, going road route, but I can just use my gravel and put bigger tires. So it's becoming something which is now no more than a trend, but something that is becoming yeah, uh, popular with everyone and accepted. So I think the same way people will start to think, would start to think, oh, well, I want to have lighter uh, rims, lighter wheels, deeper rims, deeper wheels, because I want to now race on those kind of different events, which are a gravel one, but still where aerodynamics and speed counts. So, yeah, I do think it will become more and we will see more and more of this.
0: So one thing that we've seen with aero wheels, certainly year after year, is that someone comes out with an innovation and then someone basically copies the innovation, like mimics the shape. It's something very similar. What, what is to prevent someone from doing that here?
1: Uh, well, if there are um, technologies or something that's um, like, for example, our limitless range, uh, you can patent, you know, you can apply, you can file a patent which protects you from having harder, trying to replicate in the same way which, uh, you you have done. Obviously, what we have done on the limitless can still be done, by someone who decided to be a lot heavier and fill that thickness with carbon prepreg, because this is not covered by our patent. Still, it's again you—you uh, you will see you cannot really protect yourself hundred percent from everything, because once you come out with a with a shape and you know being wider become more and more popular. Everyone else out there will probably copy your shape, will make a similar, it's the same everywhere, you know, we, we, they will make a similar hub system, a similar hub design. They will start to use similar spokes, uh, shapes. Um, you can protect yourself when you do use a, speci- a peculiar technology or you invent something, but um, it, it's, it's hard. It's not that easy. And even with pattern, you know, you, you work a lot. You need to uh, make a lot of prior arts research before uh, uh, getting the opportunity, you know, to fire your pattern and be sure that what you have come to can be protected. And I know I we, we have, um, and even with that, you know, we, we have suppliers, for example, in, in Taiwan. They own a lot of patents and they are infringed every day, every time by, by hundreds of companies out there. And in the end, one of them, one of the CEOs out there told me, well, Luisa, what, what, what I can do? Can I just waste my whole life just suing people for that? You leave it, go. And then, yeah, uh, it's, it's a bit of a hard situation. <laughs>
0: But I guess one of the patents that you have for this specific wheel set is the way you're able to make that rim so big uh, is because you, you have like a, a structural foam inside to to reinforce the the walls, right? Instead of making the thicker carbon.
1: Yes, exactly. the 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 patent is just for that process of combining carbon prepreg and the foam the polymer, uh, the structural low-density polymer applied on the external side of, of, of the rim. So we, uh, we, we should be, we, with the pattern, we can be the only one um, just following this process, this manufacturing process. And in the same way, what we have done uh, is just we are sure that for what concern the strength and the structural integrity of the rim, we have carbon prepreg on the sidewall. Then all the rest is filled with this low density polymer, which is again a structural um, uh, polymer. So it's hard. It wouldn't be enough on its own. We couldn't have just. That polymer inside because of the way the um, the forces are acting on on the rim, but by combining that polymer with uh, the right amount of carbon prepreg in the sidewall where it's necessary, we were able to reach um, to save weight because we could save fifty grams a rim, and we achieved the same structural integrity of the rim without the polymer in for what concern, input resistance or stiffness of, of the overall wheel.
0: Mm, interesting. Um, where else do you think that we are going to see aerodynamics come into play when it comes to wheels? So we've already expanded now from from road into gravel. Um, you know, People were, of course, already using aero wheels and cyclocross and that sort of thing. Do you think that there's going to be a time where we're going to be talking about aerodynamics in wheels for mountain bikes? Is that even necessary? Is there even a benefit?
1: Well, uh, one thing that always people think about, oh, the speed is low and therefore you don't need error to be error. That's true on half. You know, it still depends on how low you go because when the speed is, all, is still the, what counts the most. You know, I just recently had to do a long calculation for our, some riders and for just to present something on, on how much weight is versus aero. You really need to just go down to very low speed to have that aero um, component not to be accountable anymore. But as soon as you start talking about 17 kilometers per hour, 20, speed counts a lot. The thing that I uh, so mountain bike could be for what concerns speeds, something that aerodynamics could be applied. Obviously, the time is a lot shorter, so the advantage could be different or not as much accountable as in a long road racing, uh, uh, race races. The, other, the thing is that at the moment, not not at the moment, um, wheels are just a part of the component. Uh, the rider's position is, the rider itself is what uh, affects the aerodynamic the most. So I still think that being in that upright position with the arms very wide, with those big helmets, with those fluffy clothing, probably the advantage that you bring by providing air wheels would be completely uh, eaten, destroyed by, by all the rest. So. Think, till the moment that arrow uh, will become a, a part, a thing in mountain bike, also on on everything else. Probably, I, I don't really think that arrow wheels will be uh, will be enough. You know, you can always provide arrow wheels, but probably you won't detect anything in the end because your helmet is so big, your position is so. Um, creating turbulence that whatever you add is not detect- detectable.
0: Okay, so I guess that means that we are not going to see some crazy aero mountain bike wheel set from Hunt anytime in the mm-hmm. near future. Yeah, not, not uh, from can Hunt. You give us, yeah. <laughs> can, can you give us any hint then as to what you are working on that we might see in the future from you?
1: Well, uh, as I said...
0: I guess the, I guess this is the this is the part where the marketing people are going to get you in trouble. <laughs>
1: yeah, well, I would, probably you know what they talk much more than I do. Sometimes I'm surprised at <laughs> how much the taste they give, which I said like, you cannot really tell everything. But now we we've been working on um, special projects for triathlon uh the idea was to launch everything at kona kona didn't happen in august uh, in october is not going to happen in february and we will launch uh if everything goes as uh, scheduled in in may so that would be something like special coming uh, soon uh, we are also working on a lot of like um, mountain bike projects and something special which I'm not going to mention on with a different kind of technology and material but that would be a longer time uh, possibly and we are still in a phase that we have only made segments and tested segments because we cannot even make at the moment a whole rim to test out Um, but yeah, there are a lot of things that we on in the pot you know on on the big <laughs> on the fire mm,
0: interesting oh i'm so curious now all right well uh, obviously we are going to be paying attention and i guess keeping an eye on what you all have working on there um louisa i think that's that's all i have for you today we've covered quite a lot of ground i just want to thank you so much again for being on the show with us it's been a pleasure to talk to you uh, I, I dare say this probably won't be the last time I talk to you. Because yeah, again, I still have I so many so. questions. I hope
1: so. And I said it was really, uh, it was a pleasure for me to be to be talking with you, James. Really, really much. A, a, a pleasure indeed. And hopefully, I can come to visit my colleagues out there in USA, and we can meet in person one day soon.
0: <laughs> oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Hopefully, when when things get. I guess something like close to normal. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Uh, Anyway, thanks again for your time. I appreciate it so much. And we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, bye-bye. Thanks
1: a lot.